Are we ready to go? Hannah, you ready? Yeah, yeah I'm ready. All right, and kick it out. And go. That's what they do to me. <laughs> I despise doing this. Okay. Um, <laughs> stop laughing at you gotta me. You got to do it like Chris. Do you, do, the, do you want me to do the first part? Boys podcast. Yes, I do. That's not... That's... Welcome back. Uh-huh. I can't do his voice that low. You don't have enough bass in your voice? I don't have enough I, I don't either. Left in my body. <laughs> you are listening to the Singleton Noise Podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Singleton Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones as well as the A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath asked us to read this. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? No, because the tree was using one of those mics with an on and off switch on it, and those are always off just when you need to hear them the most. Welcome back to the Signal and Noise Podcast on Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. That's the closest I've come to getting the, the intro right thus far, I think. You did. You um, did it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, make sure you check out other great shows on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. We've got the Church Sound Podcast, hosted by Samantha Potter. I've heard of that. Yeah, Have you heard of it? Yep. Were you on it? No, but I would love to be on it. I think you're going to be on it. Um, what? Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I spilled the beans, but yeah. So uh, people that's people talking to your people. Yeah. It might, might. Yeah. Exactly. What's happening? Hold on. My dog's trying to make some trouble. Oh, good. Yeah, bring him in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my dog will be making an appearance here shortly. Probably. He tends to get pretty uh, left out when there's stuff going on. He's not a part of it. Um, also on the Pros and Web Podcast Network, the Live Sound Bootcamp Podcast. Sorry, yeah, Ryan, Ryan or John. Ryan, John. Yeah, yeah. So I know that he had just gotten to the one where I introduced myself as Ryan John because he texted me the other day. He's like, hey, man, you stole my name. I was like, yeah, that's how I know whether or not you're still listening to the show. So we got to throw those in there. Um, okay, so before we go jump into it, CFX. Let's talk about CFX for a second, man. How cool was that? We're joined with Kyle Turnside and Hannah Gooden. <laughs> Thank you for introducing us, Michael. <laughs> yeah, great job. 122. <laughs> where to go we've lost it we've Nailed lost it. control kyle how was your experience at cfx doing the loudspeaker demo i loved hanging out with all the people that i see in a little square box on my computer one day a week and being able to eat and drink and tell stories and walk around and pick people's brains like um like i said on 120 man it was like a one and done and it was like this is how we're going to move forward. But now we have to wait to NAM, is it? NAM and Infocom coming up? Yeah, yeah, year? NAM and, and yeah, in the summer, yep. We're going to be out doing the demo there too. Cool. It'll be at a different capacity, but I was really grateful to be able to sit with you guys in the same room um, with Samantha and Keith and everybody who got to sit with us and do 120 it was an epic episode. If you hasn't listened to that one, please go back and listen to 120 again. It was great. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Hannah, how was your CFX experience? Very similar. Besides really cold. It, it was not cold. It was way too hot in Dallas. It, it was in, in the demo room. It was, yeah. it was sinfully in, cold. Inside, it was pretty it bad. It was ridiculous. But it was really good. You know, just yeah. like Kyle said, having everyone in the same spot, actually eating food with everyone and just like telling stories and hanging out that was priceless yeah we hope to do it again uh, definitely we, we met some listeners man that was pretty cool like a couple of people came up to us so they listened to the show and and they knew who Literally kyle was too yeah i was going around all week telling people i was walking around with chris saying he's a big deal on the internet and he got, he got sick of me doing that pretty quickly okay um, then then i'll interject and then we see the mxu podcast with their own wrapped bus <laughs> yeah fucking tour bus filling, yeah. filling like theater sized places and and like I'm like, man, we're never going to get to that level. So congratulations to those guys. If you've been out and seen the MXU podcast tour thing that they're out doing, please drop some lines on the Facebook or Discord. Let's start some conversation about it. I want to I know what's going on out there. I want to I pick brain. I want to I figure this out. I want to I want to. I want a bus. I'm not going to kid you. That's your, wanna... Is that what you're like setting the goal for this show is you with the tour bus with the with the. With their, yeah. with their name on the side? I want chafing dishes that I get to pick what's in the chafing dishes that day. 
All right, so you guys heard it here first, episode 122, I think. Kyle Turnside sets the bar. Um, Hannah, who's our guest on this episode? Today we have Chris Miller, um, current um, yeah. front of house engineer for uh, Black Bear, um, among multiple other artists that I'm jealous of being able to work with. Um, but welcome to the show. <laughs> Name them. I gotta stop it. Hello. Drop them. Thanks drop for em. having me. Yeah, like you want to you, you drop some names? Uh, yeah, uh, I guess right now, uh, I'm, I'm on the Maroon 5 tour with Black Bear right now. Um, the, uh, for the last couple years, uh, I've been, uh, front of house production manager for, uh, Neck Deep. Like those um, dudes. Before that, I did State Champs for a really long time. Michael um, likes that. I did pretty much every Hannah's show they did band from ever. like 2014 until like 2018, mid 2018. And, you know... Ton, a ton of like those are the those are the main ones really uh and i did front of house for a country singer named john langston for a long time um other than that just bouncing around i did knuckle puck for a bit i did don broca for a bit i did pierce the veil for a bit i did the you know everybody's got a million that's kind of how this goes you just kind of uh, I'm not busy next week. Let's jump around. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's some interesting stuff that we definitely want to talk about. But before we get to in, Kyle will get mad and Chris will get mad next week when he hears this if if we don't do this. So to, in order to avoid irritating Chris, um, Chris Leonard, of course, uh, arms reach. Kyle turns side. What's the coolest thing you got with an arms reach? Holy cow. Oh, man. Since you're we not ready for the about, game? No, since we were talking about Jess and her Oracle cards, I've got mm. a, a bag of... Palo Santo, which is a tree grown, grown in um, South America only, and basically it's burned like sage. And instead of uh, reducing the negative and positive energy in the room like sage does, this uh, leaves the positive and takes away the negative in, in the spiritual realm. Just saying. Tana, cool single arms reach? Um, probably. You guys are on it. I just got a new laptop today, so that's that's pretty cool. Hey. Yep. Congratulations <laughs> on your recent acquisition. Thanks. Um, I've got this is a uh, jumbo bag of uh, Reese's uh, peanut butter cup, but they're the pumpkin shaped ones because we're oh. coming up on Halloween. Mm. We were at a show over the weekend, and one of the stage hands was like, "Hey, are you going out?" And I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "Can you give me some chocolate?" So I, that was the first thing I saw when I went in the store. And uh, I'm gonna be. I've been slowly eating them over the last couple of days, and probably you know, why I'm not. You know what good. it is about the pumpkins and the eggs. I'll stop you right there. Is they fit the whole thing fits mm. in your mouth and like hits the <laughs> roof of your mouth in the right angle, and they just melt. And they're so good. And the best thing is to go to Walgreens after Halloween and buy them for half off. No, the day well, of the Halloween. The other thing is that they they have, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they have a different peanut butter to chocolate ratio than the yes. than the regular cups so they they do taste different they're better you know? in my opinion mm. um true yeah i have I, a pumpkin candle oh That's yeah pumpkin is it pumpkin spice. scented or just pumpkin it looking? is okay pumpkin scented oh, it is cool. pumpkin scented season welcome to fall it is <laughs> fall now it is it is all right so um i chris i'll i'll say that kind of you know we've heard your name floating around a little bit i know hannah's a big state champs fan and so she follows them pretty closely but you did some stuff um you did some allen heat stuff because you've been using uh is it the d live for a while yeah um and you do some some church audio too and so you kind of play a lot of different roles and that's something that we definitely want to talk about on the show but um first hannah did you you went to see Chris's show I did. a couple weeks ago. It was pretty great. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, have, I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> One has already been answered, but um, I was actually Shoot. really surprised when I went and there was a saxophone on stage. Um, and I know we already talked about it a bit, oh, but yeah, I was super excited to hear about what you did um, with the saxophone specifically. If you want to touch on that a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um well, you know, it's like like anything. A, a great player is the biggest part of a good sound. Um, Jacob is probably one of the best musicians I've ever met. Um, he plays for everybody. Um, but yeah, this is like really the first time I've I've done a tour. Uh, definitely on tour where I've where I had a horn because um, I kind of came up doing rock and metal. So um, it's really fun just getting that texture and getting it to feel nice because i i kind of have things that i do for 
guitars and drums to, you know, vocals already. And then you come in and you have this whole new texture. You have to kind of like fit in there somewhere. But, um, yeah, I mean, really just a good mic and, uh, I'm running 1176 on it and it sounds great. That's a really I interesting. Got a, I got a UAD rack on this. Tour, oh, oh nice. those are fun. Um, yeah. you know, there was a, there was a discussion this week about like, Hey, what do you do with your kick sound? And that's a question that like, I could tell you what I often do for a show that I've, you know, typical genre, but the jazz show and then the rock show, like the, that's, right. it's such a, it's such a hard question to answer because you really have to start with, well, what's it, what should it sound like? What's appropriate for the genre? So when you go from, you know, this range of artists that you're working with, I mean, what's the kind of change in mindset like for you kind of adapting to these different genres and stuff? Um, I think mostly just, I'm not, I'm not married to any like particular trick or, or like anything like that. I just kind of go like, what do I want this to feel like? And then take my best guess of how to do, how to get there. And, and then I'm like, I try new stuff all the time. Like I'll, I'll like totally blank, you know, Tom's and like redo them. Like I do it all the time. I just, for me, it's how do I, how do I convey the emotion that they're trying to convey, Mm. you know, more in a more like exaggerated way. So, so I I don't think one trick really works, even if it's like two mixers on the same band, even like if I give somebody my file and they sub for me, like it's, it's always weird for somebody else to come in on some, somebody else's stuff, whether or not it's already good, you know, just because like, it's such a personal thing. It's like your relationship with the drummer and the guitar player like really matters a lot, I think. It's your painting for sure. Um Black, yeah, like and, and, and for our listeners, Black Bear is actually the name of this the the singer rapper kid, right? Like that mm-hmm. yeah. and then his band, are they all hired musicians or is that Yeah, yeah. Cool. So when you said the sax player was like a, he played with a lot of people, I did a little just a little bit of research, but it, it seems pretty awesome. He's kind of blown up in the last couple of years. They actually did the tour with Fallout Boy. Uh, when was it? Last year or before pre-COVID? Mm-hmm. I wasn't on that with Bear, but I did it with State Champs. Ah. Uh, there were like two legs where Bear did half and uh, MGK did the other half. That's right. We were on the MGK half. That is right. <laughs> I forgot. Well, I wasn't on that. That's Chad, obviously. I I was done after. Fully oh, Chad, yeah. I was doing. I was doing one of on that. He's cool. He's a really good mixer too. He is a very good mixer. Awesome production manager as well. Do you know Chuck Peoples? Um, I don't. Monitor guy. He's I, the best. I don't. They went through so many monitor guys after I left front of house that I haven't mm. been able to keep track. Yeah, I I think Chuck did it for a while. He got off the road though, uh, right before COVID, I think. So good on him. <laughs> so that that's awesome that we talk about that. So between Fallout Boy and Maroon Five, uh, this is a different genre of music. How does that go over as far as your mix goes for that kind of show as an opening act? Mm. Um, well, you know, I was doing uh, on the Fallout Boy tour. I was doing State Champs, and they're like a kind of. Uh, all-time low-ish kind of pop punk band yeah and this has elements of that you know like we have we do an all-time low song in the set uh which is you know kind of weird full circle but (laughs) the um the content is so different you know like champs is it's it's a rock band so it's like drums first and then you kind of build around kick and snare and this is not that you like build around the keys parts so like it's like vocals and keys and then you're trying to make the drums hit as hard as you can without making it drum forward, you know? So it's like a really different approach. Um, but honestly, like just learning like the Maroon 5 and Fall Out Boy's whole, like the, both their front of house guys are so different and their whole fan base is so different. And like Maroon 5 is very like, they sound like a live DVD. Like they're very like, sl- like slick and like polished and clean and, and, Fall Out Boy sounds like a rock band. So I think I find myself on the Maroon 5 tour kind of chasing clarity more rather than going for like big, uh, which is which is cool because it's just kind of forcing me to, you know, listen differently and kind of grow. But I have, I'm on 96 DBA over a minute um, at, on the, on the, so that's like a whole new challenge where like, how do I make this band have like mm. a bunch of energy without being very loud? And, and some of these rooms are pretty reverberant, which kind of puts me in a tough spot. Um, 
so I th- I think this time around it's it's really just like clarity and like mid range is is where a lot more of my energy is local clarity for sure. Um, right, it, the Maroon Five crowd is just a little bit older than a Fall Out Boy crowd. So right, it, you're, but it's it's hard it's hard to blow people out at ninety six dBA too. So that's not something I really have to worry about being too rocky. You know, true. It was definitely comfortable if during the show I saw. Yeah, yeah. If right. older people can't hear the words or understand, mm-hmm. they'll be like, "Oh, fuck this kid band! <laughs> oh, I'm going to get a beer. Yeah. I'm going to get a twelve dollar beer. I'll, I'll, I'll be back." Deadly. <laughs> I was thinking about. Um, I mean, stage volume definitely with Champs. You know, that's a band that I didn't really know about, and Hannah loves them, and so I've, you know, heard them with her and looked up some videos and like. That's where I start to get really out of my element really fast when I have really loud stages and just drums and cymbals mm-hmm. and all the mics. And so, you know, how how are, how are you dealing with that and still chasing? I mean, the thing with Champs, and we've got um, we've got Kyle Black coming on next week, and he did a lot of their bro. production and recording. And his, his mixes phenomenal. are insane. Like, they He's are. unbelievable, bro. I, like, I have absolutely nothing but glowing things to say about that guy. He's unbelievable. Yeah, so when you hear this those mixes and talking to Kyle and it's something that I can't wait to talk about him on the show. He was like, well, I'm chasing a live experience. Like that's his inspiration when he's, when he's working on those mixes. So it's really cool. But I mean, those are so clean and they're just so well put together. I mean, how do you take that approach and take that into a live setting? Well, um, I I don't know how familiar you are. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm not Kyle. <laughs> Kyle is on a level that I as- aspire to be at one day. Um, but um, if you listen to a bunch of Kyle's stuff, and I don't know if you have, but he did the New Fun Glory live record. He did the last couple. He did a couple Seaway records. He did the last couple um, Comeback Kid records, I think. Wow. Um, and Champs, even among that group of his stuff, sound way different. Um Mostly just because they, uh, Evan Ambrosio, the drummer of State Champs, is probably the best sounding drummer I've ever been around. Um, he just is a phenomenal player, has great hands, he really cares about gear. Um, so, like, I think that's a big part of their sound and makes being their front of house guy really easy and a lot of fun. Um, and Derek's a great singer, also. Uh, but I think, you know, I, when I started with them, they they were playing like 150 cap, 200 cap shows. And then by the time I started doing um, Neck Deep and, and uh, Black Bear, they were playing, you know, 2,500, 3,000 seat headliners. And um, so those two answers are very different. <laughs> um, but really just, I think doing that small stuff, you just kind of learn to use stage volume to your advantage. Um, that's the only thing you can do, because half the time the PA can't hang with the band anyway. So yeah, you just kind of use it as part of your mix, you know. So I kind of I kind of watched that uh, whole process of them like like grow up. Um, the first show that I saw them, um, it was like a three hundred cap room in Portland, Maine, um, and like. Mm, uh, uh, th- something Port theater. City. No, a state theater, right? That's the company, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was like around Christmas. Yep. It was the Christmas yep. show. That was that was the that was first show. show that I, I went and saw them. And that's like before that I had didn't really know them very much at all. And after that, now they're one of my favorites. Um but so seeing them there and then, you know, a few years later I saw them I think in Boston or something. Um seeing that transition and seeing them grow up has been interesting for sure. Did we lo- we lost her nope. in the main well, I internet. I think I lost you. Am yeah. I back? You're back. You're back. back now. You're okay. back. Yeah. I was just saying how the the transition of watching them grow up was was interesting and seeing how their mix grew from, you know, I knew nothing about audio to to actually paying attention in, you know, more recent years. Um, Just the difference in um, especially drums because of those small rooms um, has been kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that and just, you know, I didn't know anything about doing this when I started and then I learned stuff from every engineer I'm around and I've gotten a lot better. Um but 
Yeah, I mean, they're, they're such good players that you'd have to be kind of an idiot to make that <laughs> sound bad. They're really good. What's the... Uh, so here's... The, I don't think I've ever asked this to anybody before. I, I, I harass Ryan John about it all the time. There are certain genres that I'm, I'm better at getting the sound that I want, and there are some genres like, like the State Champ stuff that I really, really have to work a lot harder to kind of get it where I want. Mm-hmm. So that's just that's just a stylistic thing that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not as good in that direction. Um, I've gotten a lot better because I've chosen to work on that and, and to try to improve it. So, like, is there is there a genre or style of mix that, that has been more difficult for you to hone? Um. I wouldn't say genre. I, I, I like, um, I've done some country stuff. I've done some hip hop stuff now. I've done some rock stuff, some metal stuff. Uh, it's, it's not really like a j- genre thing, but I have worked for bands that I didn't particularly get, mm. um, from like a artist artistic standpoint that I felt really uncomfortable, um, mixing. Um, I think, but I think, you know, as far as like a touring engineer for a band, the, the the fit and the musical like background and and the your taste is like really important to like whether it comes out really good or not like a guy can be a great engineer and just mix a band he doesn't get and it's not good you know yeah um I and I think that happens a lot I think there's a lot of like fit issues and then you find the guy and uh but I I yeah I mean I definitely think that's a huge thing like if I if I don't like if I was mixing like some band uh, of something that I was totally like foreign to me like genre wise um oh a good example uh i think uh don Broca is like one of the best slide bands going right now um i i was lucky enough to do a tour and then i subbed for a few shows for their front of house guy ben hammond who's one of the best rock guys alive and um they played a song off of their record technology called pretty and it's i don't know if you've heard it but it's real heavy and um, I love I love it now. I-, I love I love all their records, but I- at the time it was the first time I'd ever heard it, and I'd never heard any music that sounded like that before. And I'm just standing in front of the PA, and it's just noise. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea how to make this sound like music because I don't get it at all. And then like a few weeks later, I'm like really into the record, and I tell and I get it, and it and it feels good. But I think I think just your personal relationship with the music is really important. Kyle, have you had that experience? Yeah, and. And definitely, Chris, that's like I said before, everyone's kind of their own painter and always brings like their own artistic ability to whatever genre or thing that they're mixing. So I did this band. It was just like a dude. I forgot who was always playing, but it was an awesome show. Uh, But this band called The Locust played from. Oh, I've heard of them, San Francisco, and they're just like they dress up like flies, basically. And uh, it's just noise. It's just that's what it is it's a it's a noise core show and it was so annoying to me and i also did a uh, sun o who they dress up to oh my god really <laughs> yeah and and you want to talk about stage volume they play through these big custom cabinets with like bass rig heads for everything and tune down to z and um i i love that kind of music like i i will sit around and listen to that garbage and uh, offend everybody around me but i just have hard <laughs> time as an engineer balancing things out the way that i would want because things would start disappearing on me like um mm-hmm. i thought it was me and then i listened to the album like you said and i was like oh i get it right and that that sparred me to listen to more different things in that genre. Like there were a bunch of Japanese noise bands that I listened to that I was really super into. Um, but yeah, definitely felt uncomfortable at front of house mixing things that were just, it, it's literally just noise until you can figure out mm. how to paint that. What were they trying to figure out when they were playing that? And I think it makes you more of a technical engineer and there's like people that are really, really good at like making less of the mess. And I always used to say this, like there was these um, European engineers and I couldn't even name one. Uh, Actually I can, the guy from in flames Um, to mix that genre of music. It's very guitar driven. It's very noty. It's very distorted, but to get the clarity that they get out of it is like a science. And once you get it, like, it helps out with every other genre you mix. It's like that crappy 
mess, once you can figure out how to untangle it and make it clear, it becomes like this tool that you can take to any band now. Mm. I I had that similar experience um, with, I did a one-off for Sky Ferreira. And it was back when she was, I think she was opening for Miley Cyrus at the time. Um, but this was like a one-off, like a college show that she was doing. And I, this was when I learned to do my research. I had no idea about her music or anything like that. And um, so I kind of just went in and did it. And there's a lot of um, uh, stuff on her album that's a lot of like distorted drums and d- distorted this and a lot of just processing. And so there's a lot of very like industrial sounding elements in the tracks. And the room was not great. And so when that stuff comes out of a PA, it's just, it makes a mess. And I was just so frustrated the whole night. I was just like, this doesn't sound good. But then I went home and I listened to the record. I'm like, Oh, that's what the record sounds like. Like that wasn't, that wasn't my shortcoming or any issue with like that. That was her sound. And I just wasn't prepared for how that music sounded. You know what I mean? So uh, that I, the lesson that I learned from that was to listen to the music before you go try to mix it. But that was the situation. My expectations didn't match what her, her what her art was like, you know. I'll I'll take that a step further and say that like being a fan of what you're mixing is a huge part of being a good mixer. Like the not only just listening to it and going like, oh, I kind of get what they're going for, but if you if you can find a way to like actually like it and like want to hear it from a fan's perspective, because Connect. those are the people you're mixing for. Like yeah. the people that like the record are the people that are coming to the shows. So if you can make them happy mm. by being a fan of it, then that's when you're going to be at the peak of your job, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's stuff that we've talked to other engineers about. It's like you end up singing along. You end up like yeah. finding that spot that you're going to connect with that artist in that genre and that music. I mean, cause that was one of the common misconceptions that we always got asked at uh, some college questionnaires was, Oh, I can't wait to mix for so-and-so. Guess what, kid? Good luck. You're probably never going to get to mix for so-and-so, but you might get to mix for this person, and you're going to find something in that music that'll make you connect. And I think that's huge. I actually, one time I was doing a show, and when they came out to do a sound check, it was four musicians came out, and they sat down at their instruments, and they proceeded to play what, what seemed to me like just completely random, uncorrelated stuff for four and a half minutes. And I was like, I don't really know what to do with this, you know. Um, now, it's a one-off, so I could just do it and then never speak of it again, right? But I was like, I, I, I'm trying to understand this better. So I went up and I asked them, what's going on? And they're like, okay, well, we all memorized the same poem. And we have assigned different sounds on our instruments to the vowel sounds in the poem. So when we come out, we're reciting the poems in our head. And we're playing those vowel sounds so we don't all end up at the same time. But it's there is definitely a structure there. I just didn't know what it was. And so once I learned that... I was able to sit at the console and go, okay, I know what to do with this now. And I know how to, how to balance this out. And, and, you know, so I actually went and asked the artist and said, I'm trying to understand better what you're doing. And I, I don't think that's a, you know, I think that might be a little bit gutsy, but it helped me figure out how to do what they were trying to do with their art. You know what I mean? What are you laughing at Kyle? I can see you walking up four minutes into their set and going, whoa, 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 wait guys, what are you trying to do here? <laughs> During the show, yeah, you're yeah, the talk What are you guys doing? Are you guys, <laughs> you guys warming I, up? You what? know, I well, uh, you know, because often it's like, hey, the, the, are the tracks supposed to sit up here with the vocal? Or are they supposed to, like, I will ask those questions about how how is this supposed to sound? But in that case, it was just like conceptually, what are we doing here? Um, because that's what I needed to to understand what was happening enough to to help it translate. So, like, that's not a taboo thing to go and ask. Nah. If you're having trouble, you know what I mean. I, I that helped me nah. a lot. I, I hate I hate the uh, the the whole sound guy versus the musicians thing. Uh, I, that that really bothers me. That that's like a culture that exists. But um, I think having a conversation about their art is part of your job. You know. Yeah, I love it. For sure. taboo, for sure. And since you're on like the opening slot for these high-end tours how many times do you have the mix engineer or the manager or the producer standing behind you for those shows because this is those guys is different shot to get in front of a bigger audience you know do you uh get do you have to talk to a producer has a producer stand back with you or um 
uh, I mean, Kyle's seen me mix champs a few times. Um, I, I've never, I mean, he's never like came up to me and been like, hey, man, you should, he's always like, just like, like yeah, your snare cool. sounds like uh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm always freaking out the whole show because he's like the best mixer ever. Uh, yeah. No, I'm, uh, I think, um, I think if that has to be your relationship artistically, like with the band's like managers or the TM, that you're not really in the meat of it, you know. Like I, I think like you're, it's like producers when they're making a record, they don't go to the label and ask the label what the band wants to sound like. They have a relationship with the band, you know. And I just think that's a huge part of of making a good live show is like you know we're we're in this together like uh, i i'll sit with the drummer and tune the drums i'll sit with the guitar player and make the guitar sounds like but you know doing a one-off is a totally different approach you know like i think that that is the approach you just walk up to them and say like yeah you know what's your bot well you know how how big do you want this to be how small do you want it to be do you want to be vocal for it or track for it or whatever i think too something you said about like kind of this can be adversarial like you know sound engineer versus versus the band particularly if it's like a one-off or it's a local club or something like that a lot of artists on that level are sort of by default expecting to have a not great interaction with whoever the house sound person is like they're just conditioned to that um and so that really sets the tone i think for that first interaction like it's a dirty trick but i use it all the time and it works like i will go like oh man that's a cool looking guitar or oh tell me about that pedal like i haven't heard that yet like talking to them about their gear or their instruments um set one says like hey i care about this because i actually do care you know it's it's interesting but two um another thing that i said was oh you know in the bridge you know that the roads was getting a little harsh um using my musical background to talk to them um saying like you know your 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 g and your b strings are, are a little a little bright rather than just saying like the guitar is too much high end in it like how i phrase those things trying to use more musical vocabulary has helped me find common ground when we don't have time to establish each other's backgrounds or say what do i know what right. i don't know like just kind of talking to them in the way that in the way that makes more sense to them has really helped kind of smooth that over when they go oh okay this person has some understanding of musical instruments and music and is interested in what we're doing and that later when i have to tell the person to turn down because their guitar is too loud or like that that all gets easier if we've started off with kind of hey we're both here to head in the right direction and it's not hard it's it's basic but you'd be shocked how much easier it makes things for you because people don't expect it you know yeah i i mean i totally agree i think it's so much easier to establish a relationship with people I like i play guitar so same thing for me like i I use like being a musician to build rapport with people all the time. I think that's a great tool. Kyle, you, you look very serious. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask because I was looking through your stuff and it, it says you're in Antioch, Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Antioch. Yeah. Antioch and South of Nashville. And then you're the A2 and technical director at a church in Birmingham. How's that work out? Well, no, A2 is the name of the church. Oh. Uh, I, I, when I was, um, I was, I had just gotten the bear gig, uh, a few weeks before COVID and, um, weirdly enough, uh, they couldn't find a guitar player to play James Corden. Um, so I did, um, which was cool. Um, that was like my, the only time I ever got to do anything really big on guitar. Uh, and then the next week all, all the shows went away and um i had just gotten married and gone on a honeymoon congratulations and i was real uh, thank you i was very i was very broke <laughs> uh, i hadn't I hadn't toured since december and uh we got married and had a honeymoon and it was like march so i was really counting on the work and then when it all went away i was like oh, i don't know what to do uh, so i called the church where i learned how to do sound uh in birmingham and i ended up commuting uh to Birmingham four days a week, uh, all through COVID until, um, this tour started at the beginning of August. Very so, cool. Do they, is love it, them. is it like a rock and roll church? They play like elevation tunes and Bethel and Hillstone yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I'm going to go, great. I'm going to have an elevation tattoo. Actually. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Elevation albums are probably some of the best recorded albums I've ever heard in my life. Um, amazing. That guy that mixes them is doing pop stuff in Nashville. Now he's like amazing. Yeah amazing 
and the songwriting of all three of those that I just mentioned is incredible. And I even I've even made a reference on one of the podcasts how some of Justin Bieber's new album sounds like a church album. Mm -hmm. uh, the drums, in, in drums specifically. Uh, how do you approach mixing church? Well, um, I think mixing church is a lot more like mixing a record um, than than it is like mixing a rock band in a club. You know, like it's like it's a lot more compressed. You you're not really thinking so much about stage volume or feedback or like the drums or anything like that because the drums are in a cage and you know you're mixing at ninety four ninety five dB or whatever. So like it's it's a lot more like about being forward and clear, like mixing mixing like a record and trying to like master it. Um, and that particular church, uh, we didn't have the manpower to have a broadcast guy. So I was mastering a matrix off the left, right for broadcast, which is made it even more. So like, I'm thinking about how this translates. I'm like, listen, I'm bouncing board tapes and listen to my car all the time, like that kind of stuff. So um, that's a really interesting I don't thing. think so much about and, that about life. Well, I don't think we've talked about that at all. When you've got to do a, a board mix, particularly in a house of worship situation, when you, you're driving a broadcast mix off your, off your console, um, works a lot better when you don't have a lot of stage volume. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the cheat I found is to do subgroups for everything, you know, do subgroups for drums, mm -hmm. subgroups for bass, and just balance those into the matrix. Cause, um, that's what we did. Yeah. Otherwise, if you take it just left, right and try to slam it into a matrix, that's, you know, you get your oh. pastors 20 dB below the band and, Kyle, oh. you look like you've had that experience before. Yeah, you learn the hard way. And, <laughs> and I, th I think it, the two things that I always point people to is like, if you need to go get a job and get one quick and learn fast, go to a local club or go to your local church. And I think you learn mercenary audio tricks that you would never have time to think of in a live touring situation or even a live club situation because you do have that controlled environment and it doesn't change so you can work on things that you would necessarily be able to work on in a 30-minute set in a club or on a touring situation i think it makes it way better like is there something that you can point out that you've taken from your learning situation at church to the road i mean just just like you said, the the level of expectation of audio quality in church is much higher than any like gig that you're gonna do short of like you know an an arena gig. Like, well, the thing that I'm learning on this gig now, like we did three weeks of rehearsal before this tour. I had a studio to myself and a, a small PA and a console, and I was virtual soundtrack. I had three weeks to sit here and go through all my snapshots and like really, really dig into the details of it. And that's a lot, that's more like what church is like. You're, cause you're mixing the same band on the same rig with the same drums and the same guitar sounds. And, and it's like, you're the level of expectation of quality is higher, but you also have so much more time to dig into the details of it rather than just like, oh, I just have to put gain on these drums and make it sound good in five minutes or this band's going to fire me. You know what I mean? Yep. It's a cool tool to take. Like you said, it allows you to give time and energy to things that you wouldn't have time to do on the fly with a live band without rehearsals. Like, yeah. Has there been any element of, and Kyle, I'd like to hear your answer too. Like, to me, like part of doing church work, and I haven't done a lot of it, especially recently, but there's always volunteers or younger people who are interested in learning. And so you're not just doing the thing, but you're also showing other people what you're doing and sort of trying to get other people on board with it and, and, and increase their knowledge. And, and, you know, you become a trainer, a teacher as well. I mean, is that part of, of your gig as well, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that I was, my role with a two is kind of weird because, um, I've, I've been going there since they started and like the second week they were open or something. And I, I was there for five years before I started touring. And then, um, obviously I worked there for the last two years. Uh, so I was there as a musician first. I was like MDN and playing guitar. And then uh, I got frustrated because we had problems with finding audio people and we had a bunch of guitar players. So that's why I started doing sound in the first place. Um, so my role there was really like more creative media director. So like I had a lot of influence on the worship, like what the guys were doing and song arrangements and that kind of stuff too, which was really cool. Um, but they're all really young. And um, 
I had a lot of opportunity to like watch them grow and help them, you know, be a better band, mm. which, uh, which is kind of the best thing ever. So, I mean, the, to me, that's one of those conversations where they're like, why does my guitar sound like that up front? Like, cause your guitar sounds like that, you know, like those are those, mm. those conversations where like, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. I got some buddies locally that play in a band and a lot of time was spent just playing them board tapes and then isolating the multi-track and just going, well, th- this is why your tone is like that. This is what's coming into the desk, you know? Uh, and so then it was like, we'll follow it upstream and sit there with the pedal board and put our inners in together and, and work on that and get the tone happy, you know, there. I mean, it was, it was a thing where, where they're older and they were coming off of wedges. And so when they went to inners for the first time, they were really hearing their tones for the first time. They were like, Oh, okay. You don't, you don't hear your tone in that way. If it's a guitar amp that's playing into the back of your, legs you know so when they went to ears pretty much every band member went back through and was like i need to redo all of this stuff and so you know now we've got to a point where very little eq very little compression it pretty much just comes up and it's good but that does take a lot of time and effort and dedication and i think um that can be part of the complication in the in the, the house of worship environment where maybe somebody's got this tone that they just think is perfect and because they, they sat in their bedroom and that's how it sounds good to them. And then when you put it in a mix with everything else, it maybe doesn't work so well. And, and that could be a little bit of a speed bump to get over, I think. And so that's where having a good yeah. rapport is helpful. Yeah. I mean, that's just part of the gig, man. It's part of, like having, having a relationship where you can be honest and go like, we're on the same team. Let's do this together. I, th- I think that's a huge part of being a great mixer. I like that. What are you thinking, Kyle? You're rubbing your chin very thoughtfully. I, I like when when I saw Birmingham on there. Um, we I did a tour a long, long time ago with a band from Birmingham called Haste that was on Century Media, and I got to mix those dudes a few times, and they're amazing. It's basically just like a metalcore band, two singers, um, but it was awesome. Every in between every song, the one of the singers would throw their mic in front of a boom box that was playing jazz that was all distorted. And I'll always remember Birmingham and five points and doing the thing with them because of that band haste. I don't know that that's all I was thinking. And it, <laughs> I wish it, it was still there. It, it, it wound it closed. Yeah, I know. Like too bad. I can't talk about food right now, but I definitely talked Go about ahead, Amanda. I like, I like that band haste from Birmingham. They were good. We're, we're over 40 minutes in. So I, I suppose you can, you can do some food stuff if you want to. And I could do some fanboy stuff. He, you mixed uh, <laughs> Pierce the Veil as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I got your, and, uh, your resume, uh, in the email chain with Michael. And I was like, come on. <laughs> all of the, all of the bands I grew up, like, they're like, really good band girling over. Um, so it was just kind of cool to see. And now to be able to talk to you, um, I guess I, I don't have a specific like fangirl question, but um, I just noticed that like you know me and Michael have talked a lot about state champs, but um, also with Black Bear, seeing I guess I've heard a bunch of your mixes <laughs> um, over the years, um, and most of them have been pretty close to the album when it comes to like being at a rock show, um, and I was just kind of wondering about your your strategy there and how much you actually listen to the albums before you go out and all that. A lot. Yeah. Um, that that's what I mean about being a fan. Um like, you know, I love this band. When I go see this band, I want it to sound like the record, but just bigger. Mm. And that's what I'm going that's always what I'm going for. I, I wanna I wanna sound like what the fans want the band to sound like. I don't want to sound like me. Um and I uh that's that's always on the front of my brain. It that's shows cool. like for that. sure. Um Thank you. Yeah. That means a lot to me, actually. All right. Here, here's something that I don't, you know, it's kind of interesting to me. Maybe maybe not as interesting to other people, but when you're, your support and you're kind of, the, you know, there's two acts after you, um, how do you work with whatever sort of tonality or tuning for the PA that the headliners have established? And how do you kind of fit what you're doing into that? Well, on a tour like I'm on right now, where it's the same system guy and the same PA every day, I don't really think about it too much because um, he's really good and that's kind of his job. Um, you know, uh, my job is to just kind of make it fit every day. Um, but you know, going in, going into a a new PA, you know, I I do the same thing everybody else does. You got a song that you're really familiar with. Uh, I like 
Uh, I'm a really big starting line fan. Um, oh, yeah. So I use uh, Are You Alone, um, as, uh, CLA, and and Howard Benson did the record. And it, the drum sounds are phenomenal. Um, uh, I like the way the guitars and drums feel in that record. And I think they've, so I'm always kind of going for that. And I think it kind of helps me to have a context of what that record sounds like. Um, but on this, on this Maroon 5 tour, I, I really just, honestly, I just throw a kick drum up and the, I start there every day. Um, just because Matt uh, McQuaid is system teching and he's phenomenal. Um, it's a really good rig. Uh, so who's the provider? I don't really think about the PA too much. Uh, Cl- uh, Claire is doing the tour. It's a K one and K two, and uh, I'm on a I'm on a SD twelve on this tour. But I, I, I normally, or I, I have been touring D live for like four years. So I think we're going to go back to D live for the headliner. Sweet, very sweet. Do you do you listen to Maroon Five every night, or do you peace out <laughs> and go to the bus? Uh, I have a bunch. I love Maroon Five. Uh, I, I don't. Weirdly enough, over COVID, uh, me and my best friend did a Twitch stream where we played through songs about Jane, note for note. Um, like I, I'm, a, I'm, fun. A, I'm a huge fan. I love that band. They're phenomenal. Everybody in the band can play. So I try to watch them as much as I can. I think their front of house guy is really good too. Uh, Vincent, he used to do like Halsey and War on Drugs and a bunch of other bands. Oh, it used to be. Um, trying to think who used to have a Run Five gig. And asked me the other day, and I, I fired Jim Ebden at some point, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I think Vincent got it in like twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. Kyle, you want to talk about a, a vocal forward band? There you go, man. I mean, that's, yeah, right for real. Definitely, it, it's you know, train. It's, a lot of that stuff from that era was just like vocals got to be there, man. You know. Yep. Every word, every word is sung along all night long. Mm-hmm. His drum sounds are absolutely unbelievable. Also. Uh, yes, I don't. I don't know that I've ever heard Tom sound as good as their Tom sound. Yes, yeah, I, I so, made that observation that night. <laughs> <laughs> being, being the Chris Leonard fan that I am, if you could define your legacy, <laughs> how would you define your legacy? You gonna throw the heavy shit on him like that? If, yeah, if I could define my legacy, um, how, how you want to be remembered. How you want to be remembered? Whether it's uh, a way less or scary work. way of phrasing that question, Kyle. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, as a prof- like from professionally, I just want people to think I care a lot because I do. Uh, and I guess personally, same thing. Like, just really care about people. Really care about the craft. And those are the two most important things to me. And if all of three of us were going to Tennessee and or Birmingham to meet you. Where will we go eat? Oh, more important question. Hmm. Yes. Uh, Birmingham, uh, I, the first place I always take new people is, um, I love food, by the way. Yeah. I'm like a huge food person. The uh, uh, first place I take people is Saw's Barbecue, um, if you've ever been there. No. It's very good. I mean, it's really good. They, they have a, uh, a fried chicken breast sandwich with white barbecue sauce on it called Sweet Tea Chicken Sandwich, and it's the most Alabama thing there is. Yeah, that is um, super South Alabama white sauce. Yeah, white, exactly. The fried chicken with white sauce is the Alabama, the highest point of Alabama food. Is, is uh, that like that's the horseradish based one too, isn't it? So it's a little spicy. Yeah, there's some horseradish. There's like mayonnaise and black pepper and yeah. vinegar. I think. Yep, I like everything about um, this. It's really good. Uh, and then Tennessee, there's a place in. I I moved here right before COVID, so I'm still like exploring. Uh, places but um there's a restaurant in thompson station which is about 30 minutes south of nashville called circa and it uh one of the best meals i've ever had it's it's like if your grandma had a michelin star kind of <laughs> restaurant it's really good it's really really good so we gotta get Take you uh there. jim yaks down in your area now he's he's uh heading up the audio stuff at solo tech so we gotta get you connected oh cool we'll get you guys out and uh denny miller's down in murfreesboro as well so yeah we got some we got some people down there um, yeah, everybody's in Tennessee, dude. It's, it's a place to be, sold man. Out, bro. Yeah, it's sold out. Nobody else is allowed to go there, <laughs> bro. I know. I can't. Like, we were looking, we were looking at places to move, and I was like, we can't afford to live here anymore. This yeah. place is going crazy. Everybody's sold moving out. here. Vegas is sold out. Austin is sold out. Nashville's sold out. Come to upstate New York, mm-hmm. man. It's great up here. We got lots of space still. 
It's very affordable. All of California yeah. has moved to Nashville in the last year. Yes, yeah. Or or somewhere in Texas. Or Austin, yeah. Or Arizona. Yeah, all those places are sold out. You got to look at different places <laughs> now. <laughs> all right. I'm glad I got in when I got in. Yeah, I'm not man. leaving. So I know, I know how I want to close this, I think. Because Kyle, you already you already did our two our two landmark questions. Thank um, you. So a little bit of a unique situation with Hannah being here, Chris. When you have people out there in the field, young people who are engineers, and they are looking at you and the artists you're working with, going like, "Man, I want to do that," and that is like a steering force for people when they're developing professionally and guiding them. What advice would you give those people that are looking at what you're doing and saying, "Man, I want to do that. I want to be like him. I want to work on those gigs." Um. That's a tough one, I know. Yeah, I I think uh, this is kind of philosophical. I, I I feel I feel like a well, like kind of a douchebag when I talk about stuff like this. But the I think it's really important not to focus on the externals of what it is that you do. Like if if you're if you want to mix front of house for big bands, stop complaining about the money. Stop complaining about the bands that you're working for. Stop complaining about whether you're in a van or a bandwagon or a bus or what. None of that stuff matters. Get better at mixing. That's the only thing that matters. And then all that other stuff happens uh, as a byproduct. So if you're if you're constantly just focused on improving and like learning and going around people who are really good and trying to figure out what it is that makes them really good. If, if, if that's where you derive your joy and that's where your focus is, all the other stuff just kind of happens. I love I like that. that. Yeah, that's pretty great. And I did, I did find, uh, to me, there is, it used to be frustrating when I'd hear a mix and go like, man, I don't, I'll never fucking be able to do that. Like that's ridiculous. But like, you know, I've, I've redirected that into, I want to find out what's going on with that. And, and I, you know, and I, I go the extra step. I'm going to come up and ask them. <laughs> like, I'm not scared. You yeah. know, I don't give a shit. I'll do it. So I steal stuff from people yeah, all the time. Yeah. I think that's like a huge part of getting better. Yeah. I love it. Well, Chris, thank you, man. That's uh, you said some cool stuff. I hope our listeners enjoy it. Uh, Hannah, any, come on last, last minute fangirl question. I know you got no, one. No, I'm okay. I, I won't be the fangirl. Um, <laughs> I definitely want to come see you mix more though. If, if the opportunity arises. Well, there you have it. Let me know anytime. <laughs> Thanks. Chris, thanks, thanks, for for, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having me, truly. Had a great time. <laughs>